Chapter 29 Fiora woke up to the sound of tapping. The silvery glow of moonlight made her think she was underwater again. Until she pushed off her bed, expecting to float towards the ceiling, and crashed onto the floor instead. Fiora stayed on the floor for a moment, recovering her breath and trying to remember where she was. Montaigne. In the castle. She was a guest of the royal family. And something was tapping on her window. She pulled herself up, wondering why she had ever missed being on land. Balancing on feet was much harder than floating through water. Especially when those feet hurt more with every step she took. But never mind that. What on earth was tapping on her window? She was on the third floor. That was quite a climb. Fiora stumbled over and pushed it open. Something flew through past her in a blur of feathers and landed on her bed. Squawk. Spot dropped a seashell onto her pillow and looked at her with expectant eyes. Fiora sighed. She didn't have any food. But even if she could speak and tell him that, the bird wouldn't understand her. She held her hands out, palms open, so Spot could see they were empty. Squawk. He ruffled his feathers indignantly and flew out the window. Fiora picked up the shell and held it to the moonlight to study the carvings. It was Zoe's again. This must mean her cousin was waiting to meet her. Probably in the same place along the shoreline. And hopefully she had brought the second conch shell with her so that Fiora could figure out why her feet were hurting so much. Fiora wished Zoe had waited until morning. It would have been easier to get to the garden in daylight. But if her cousin was waiting, Fiora would just have to find a way to get to the beach. She wrapped a robe around herself and sighed, missing the satisfaction of making a sound as she did so. Strangely, she also missed the stream of bubbles that would have accompanied the sigh if she had been a mermaid. Fiora crept across the room and turned the latch slowly. It clicked, and the sound echoed through the empty hallway. Those elegant marble floors amplified every sound in the castle. She left the door slightly open, not willing to risk another latch click, and walked along the edge of the hallway, hoping to be mistaken for a servant if she was seen at all. The castle was empty. Apparently everyone was already in bed. Now, which way was the garden? Fiora should have paid more attention when following people around the castle. She had only a vague sense of where she was, and everything looked different at night. After ten minutes of wandering through hallways, Fiora had to admit she was lost. Her castle in Kel had been small and easy to navigate. Mermaid dwellings were so open that you could always see where you were going through the numerous holes in the walls and ceilings. The Montaigne Castle was an elegant marble maze. Fiora fought back the panic building in her chest. Not only did she not know the way to the gardens, but she wasn't sure she could make it back to her room either. That would be difficult to explain to whoever found her. Fiora flattened against the wall as a sound filled the hallway. She listened for a moment, then relaxed. Somewhere in the castle, someone was singing. The sound echoed against the marble, making it impossible to decipher the words. The singer was female, but the music echoed too much for Fiora to say more than that. There was a trace of magic in that voice. Had Zoe somehow come into the castle to look for Fiora? Only one way to find out. Even if it wasn't Zoe, the singer might know the way to the garden. 
Fiora turned slowly in a circle, trying to find the direction the sound was coming from. She picked the hallway where it seemed the loudest and began to walk. The feeling of magic intensified as Fiora moved through the castle towards the music. The voice became a little clearer. It definitely wasn't Zoe singing, and it didn't feel quite like mermaid magic. Fiora had never heard a human weave magic with singing before. Usually they just spoke enchantments to magical gems. The song seemed vaguely familiar, but the echoing against the marble distorted the melody and voice, so she couldn't quite place them. She swallowed. Maybe it would be better not to disturb the singer. What if they reported her to the royal family or insisted on taking her back to her room rather than showing her to the garden? It would probably be better to keep searching on her own. Fiora turned away from the music to retrace her steps and ran into something warm and solid. Rather, someone. She screamed. Or at least she tried. It came out as a sort of raspy cough that faded into silence. The man stepped back, just as surprised as she was, and Fiora recognized King Gustav. She leaned against the wall as her heart pounded in her chest. Gustav blinked, looking confused. Had he been sleepwalking? Lady Mare. He finally said. Fiora nodded and stepped into a patch of moonlight streaming through a window so Gustav could see her more clearly. I, that is, are you all right? Gustav looked around the hallway, and Fiora felt she should be asking him if he was all right. He still seemed a little dazed. I'm fine. She turned to walk away. The last thing she needed was to linger alone with the king in the middle of the night. Fiora would leave those sorts of strategies to Lady Annabelle. She was done trying to win the hearts of men. Don't go. Desperation tinged Gustav's voice. He grabbed her hand as he said it, and Fiora pulled away as if she had been stung by a jellyfish. Gustav retracted his hand just as quickly. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to hurt you. I just, I didn't want to be alone. He still looked confused. Fiora knew from recent experience how alarming it was to wake up and not know where you were. Who would have guessed the King of Montaigne was a sleepwalker? She crossed her arms over her chest but stayed where she was. Gustav stared at her face, then down at the floor. I mean, that is. Fiora smiled in spite of everything. His awkwardness was rather endearing. It's all right, your majesty. He didn't see her signs because he was still staring at the floor. She tapped his arm to get his attention, which caused him to jump in surprise. She repeated the signs, and he relaxed a little. I dreamed I heard a voice, he said. I thought it might be the woman who saved me on the beach, and I was trying to find her. Fiora pressed her lips together to keep from smiling. That was more ironic than Gustav knew, but she couldn't tell him why. He misinterpreted her expression for disapproval. I just want to thank her. I. The singing, which Fiora had not realized had stopped, suddenly began again. They looked towards the sound, then to each other. Gustav blinked. I love her, he said. Fiora stepped back. What do you mean? She saved my life, and I love her. Fiora swallowed. Surely that wasn't true. No one fell in love that easily. Especially not with her. Your majesty is still half asleep. No, it's true, 
Gustav insisted. Fiora glanced down at her pearl ring. The gem was as dull as ever. If Gustav actually loved her, it would glisten with magic again. She shook her head. It would do no good arguing with him. She had her own problems to worry about. I should go. Where? What are you doing up so late? He was more awake now. Aware enough to be suspicious. Fiora bit her lip. She could say she wanted fresh air and a stroll in the garden, but what normal guests sneaked out of their room for a midnight walk along the beach. King Gustav was probably too polite to question the statement, but Fiora couldn't afford to raise suspicions. Besides, he might insist on accompanying her on her walk. What would happen if he saw Zoe? I couldn't sleep. I wanted to borrow a book from the library, but I lost my way. Allow me to escort you. Gustav offered his arm. Fiora said a silent apology to Zoe as she took it. She hated to leave her cousin waiting by the shore, but what else could she do? These hallways do all look the same. Especially at night. The best way to keep track of where you are is to watch the artwork. Each wing of the castle contains different collections. We're still in the bedroom wing, which contains family portraits. That one is my grandmother at her coronation. The painting showed a woman in her thirties. Bernadine looked fierce in spite of the artist's efforts to portray her as a serene figure. Fiora smiled. And her wedding portrait, Gustav said, leading Fiora to a painting further down the hall. Familiarize yourself with these, and it will be easier to find your way back to your room. Fiora nodded, nearly laughing at how dissimilar Bernadine and her husband looked in the wedding portrait. The king was a round, jolly sort of man, while Bernadine was all angles and intensity. Perhaps opposites really did attract. She studied the portraits as they walked, doing her best to memorize them so she could find her way back down the hallway again. She would need to sneak out later if she couldn't find a way to escape King Gustav and meet Zoe. As Gustav had said, this wing contained family portraits. Fiora wondered if everyone was actually as happy as they looked in the paintings. If so, the royal family of Montaigne must be one of the most contented in Myra. The royal family of Kel never looked or acted this happy. Her stepmother's face was always pinched as she expressed disapproval about anything unlucky enough to cross her path. Her father yelled at everyone, even Elspeth on occasion, and she was his pride and joy. Gustav paused in front of a painting of a man with an enormous wavy beard. His eyes were kind and somehow familiar. Fiora blinked as she realized they were the same as Gustav's. Your father. Gustav nodded. Lady Mayor, meet King Francois of Montaigne. I know he would enjoy your company if he were here to welcome you. Tears sparkled in Gustav's eyes. Fiora couldn't imagine missing anyone that much. Let alone her father. She curtsied to the painting. It will be my honor to meet you someday, Your Majesty. She signed to the painting, and Gustav smiled at her. Then he raised his hand to his mouth and whispered, Find King Francois, to his ring. A red light shone out the window towards the sea. Gustav pulled a compass from his pocket and checked the direction. He still hasn't moved, which means he must still be underwater. I think the mermaids must be holding him prisoner under the sea. Fiora blinked. If the mermaids had any human prisoners, 
she knew nothing about it. It seemed unlikely, but she couldn't tell Gustav that without explaining why she knew it. And she was not willing to do that. They were singing when I was there, he said. Mermaids were singing underwater, and then a kraken attacked. I need to go back there to investigate. There has to be a way. He studied Fiora for a moment, as if deciding how much to trust her. A mermaid named Kathleen gave me this shell, he whispered, pulling a small shell from his pocket and handing it to Fiora. I thought perhaps it was magic. A way to contact them. But it doesn't seem to do anything. Fiora took the shell and turned it over in her hand to study it. It was carved with a song. A transformation enchantment. Perhaps Kathleen had given this to Gustav, expecting that he would be able to read it, transform himself, and come speak with her. Although, it didn't exactly seem a practical plan, since the enchantment would turn Gustav into a frog. Fiora thought back to the vision she had seen in the golden ball. Perhaps this was the enchantment that had been used to transform the talking frog she had seen in the vision. Interesting, but it didn't help at all with her problem. She handed the shell back to Gustav and shrugged. The carvings are pretty, she signed. Gustav nodded. He looked so disappointed, that Fiora couldn't resist adding, I grew up by the sea. A sailor once told me that mermaids carve enchanted songs onto shells. Perhaps it is a spell? Gustav's eyes brightened. You think it's an enchantment I need to perform? Perhaps. He looked so hopeful that Fiora regretted saying anything. Even if he did manage to turn himself into a frog or contact Kathleen, it wouldn't help him find his father. Queen Galaris had not trusted humans since Fiora's mother died. She certainly wouldn't help one human search for another. The singing stopped, Gustav said. Fiora listened, but heard only the familiar sounds of land at night. A combination of crickets, night birds, and wind rustling through the trees. This mixed with the sounds of the ocean, waves and seagulls. It is late, she signed. I can do without a book if you would rather go back to bed. Gustav shook his head. I don't think I could fall asleep now. I might open a few more birthday gifts and write thank you notes. I only have a few royal duties right now. I shouldn't shirk my responsibilities. So much for ditching King Gustav. But if Fiora remembered correctly, the library was not far from the garden door. Maybe she could sneak away once he was distracted by the presence. She took his arm, and they continued walking through the hallway. Fiora watched the portraits, noting each time King Francois appeared in them. The king's face made her feel she knew him. Was it because he reminded her of Gustav, or had she met him in person at some state event? It was certainly possible that he had attended a princess test she had competed in. They rounded a corner, and Fiora froze. Gustav kept walking. His arm slipped from her fingers, but she didn't notice. She was too busy staring at the portrait on the wall. It was him. She walked towards the painting as if in a trance, wondering if it was simply a trick of the moonlight. But no, it was him. It was a painting of her statue. The boy above the grotto. He wore the same clothes, although they looked different in color than in stone. He had the same friendly expression. The same eyes that had always invited her to talk while he listened. 
The only difference was that the boy in the painting held a scepter in his hand. So that was what had broken off the statue. How? How was he here? Fiora ran her fingertips along the golden frame, searching the boy's face for answers. Then she looked down at the nameplate and gasped. Gustav. The statue in her mermaid garden was King Gustav. But that was impossible. She looked from the painting to the real Gustav, who was watching her with confusion. Yes, that's me, he said, laughing awkwardly as Fiora looked from the painting back to him again. Grandmother commissioned that from an artist in Eldria to celebrate my father officially naming me his heir. There was a statue as well, but it fell overboard in a storm and was never recovered. Fiora nodded slowly, too stunned to say anything. King Gustav was her statue. The boy she had looked for all those years. Well, the man now. Humans changed when statues didn't. Perhaps it wasn't so surprising. The mermaid's summer home was close to Montaigne. Royalty were more likely to be carved into statues than common folk. Is something wrong, Lady Mare? Fiora tried to regain her composure. A normal person would not react so strongly to a simple portrait. She tore her eyes away from the painting and focused on King Gustav, trying to make out a resemblance to the statue that had been her only friend in childhood. Now that she knew it was him, she did see a resemblance in the eyes. Or maybe that was wishful thinking. She stared so hard that Gustav flushed with embarrassment. Shall we continue to the library? There are other paintings of me we can look at along the way. And some of Colette. He offered his arm. Fiora nodded slowly and took it. She held onto him a little too tightly as they walked, reluctant to let him go now that she had found him. Chapter 30 By the time they reached the library, Lady Mare had regained her composure. Gustav resisted the urge to stare at her and forced himself to act as if everything was normal. Why had his childhood portrait fascinated her so much? She hadn't found any of the other portraits as interesting. Just that one painting of him as a boy. It had caught her interest even before she knew it was him. It was all very strange. Another mystery. Lady Mare let go of his arm and walked, not to the shelves of books, but to the window. She stared at the moonlit ocean, searching for something Gustav could only guess at. He had nothing but guesses where Lady Mare was concerned. Half-formed questions with no answers. Gustav surveyed the library, half expecting to find the woman from the beach there. Surely that had been her voice echoing through the halls. And it hadn't been a dream. Lady Mare had heard it as well. But he saw no one. The singing made no more sense than Lady Mare's fascination with his portrait. How would the woman from the beach get into the castle? Why would she sing in the middle of the night? Maybe she lived here. Maybe she was a servant in the castle, and that was why she was afraid to show her face. Perhaps she had been taking a break from her duties that day and didn't want the royal family to know. It made as much sense as anything else he could think of. But why would she sing to summon him and then run away? Why was she so afraid of everyone but Gustav? Gustav turned from the window to face the mountain of presents piled against the wall. If he opened enough of these tonight, maybe he would have time tomorrow to strategize with Captain Wist about forming another expedition to search for his father. 
He picked a small package from the pile and carried it over to the scribe's desk. Motion in the corner of the room reflected in the mirror and caught his eye. He turned to see what the mirror was reflecting, but there was nothing there. Lady Mare sat on the windowsill staring at the ocean. The rest of the library was empty except for moonlight and shadows. Gustav rubbed his eyes. All those blows to the head had not done him any favors. It was not like him to be jumpy and imagine things. He read the label on the box he had selected. This was a gift from the royal family of Fletcher. Hopefully something more typical than the rest of the gifts he had received so far. Gustav tore the paper and pulled aside velvet fabric to reveal a small golden arrow pen. He turned it over in his hands, admiring the way it gleamed in the moonlight. Now this was a normal birthday gift. He could wear it pinned to his cloak the next time he visited Fletcher or entertained their diplomats. They would see that he appreciated their gift, and he would be reminded that their arrows were the best in Myra. Both nations would benefit. Gustav expected a note from King Richard or his heir, Princess Marion, but instead found one from the king's younger brother, Prince John. I admire your majesty's dedication to excellence and trust you will do the same when you see excellence exhibited in the government of Fletcher in the future. Many happy wishes on your birthday. May you have a long and prosperous reign. Gustav shrugged. The message was a little strange, but perhaps King Richard and Princess Marion were busy running their country and had delegated the gift giving to Prince John. He could understand that. He dipped the quill into the inkwell and wrote, I thank you for the beautiful pen and kind birthday wishes. I look forward to our country's continued relationship. Gustav signed his name, set the note aside so the ink could dry, and eyed the mountain of gifts. Which to open next? He turned back to Lady Mare, who was still staring at the ocean. She had pulled her feet onto the windowsill and wrapped her arms around her legs as if she were trying to make herself as small as possible. Her dark hair hung loose over her shoulders like a cloak, and her enormous blue eyes glittered with moonlight and unshed tears. Perhaps he could do something to cheer her. Would you like to choose the next gift to be opened, Lady Mare? She jumped in surprise, as if she had forgotten he was there. She cast one more look at the ocean, then nodded and walked towards the pile of gifts. Lady Mare looked from the presents to Gustav, making a show of choosing just the right one. Finally, she settled on a bright red package wrapped in silver ribbon. She picked it up and turned to the desk. A low rumble shook the castle. An earthquake? As the shaking grew worse, Lady Mare dropped the box and put her arms out to steady herself. She stumbled backwards and crashed into the mountain of gifts. The pile wavered precariously, and another deep rumble echoed through the room. It almost sounded like laughter. Gustav saw a shadow move out of the corner of his eye. A violent jolt rocked the castle as he turned to search the room. Something crashed behind him. Gustav whirled around just in time to see Lady Mare's terrified expression as the mountain of gifts fell over and buried her. She didn't scream. Of course she didn't. She made no sound as she disappeared beneath the boxes. Lady Mare Gustav ran forward, dodging books that flew from the shelves as the earthquake continued. A good number of them landed on the avalanche of presents, further trapping Lady Mare. Gustav hoped that none of the presents were heavy. 
if anyone had sent gems or statues or coins, they could seriously injure Lady Mare. The pile of books wouldn't help matters. Lady Mare, I'm coming. Stay calm. Not taking his own advice, Gustav's heart pounded as he frantically tried to uncover her. He grabbed boxes and tossed them across the room, not caring that he was abusing royal gifts. Something glass shattered when a bright purple box crashed into the scribe's desk. Probably some kind of priceless face, but Gustav didn't stop. If only Lady Mare could speak. If only she could call out so he would know where to dig. This incident removed any suspicions Gustav had that Lady Mare could speak and was choosing not to. If she had a voice, surely she would call out for help now. Unless she was dead. Gustav shoved the thought from his mind. She was alive. She had to be. He doubled his pace, throwing priceless books and gifts across the room with abandon. He shouted when he uncovered a hand in the debris. He grabbed it, and it grabbed back. Gustav let out a sigh of relief. She was alive. Just a moment more, and I'll have you out. Lady Mare squeezed his hand before letting go so he could continue to dig. Gustav dug down until he freed her arm. She began grabbing boxes and throwing them aside as soon as she was able to move. Together, they worked until he found Lady Mare's face. She smiled with relief when she saw him. She had a scratch across her forehead and a bruise on her cheek, but looked like she hadn't been seriously injured. Before he quite knew what he was doing, Gustav leaned forward and kissed her. Lady Mare wrapped her free arm around his shoulders, pulled him closer, and kissed him back. The ground rumbled again. A book flew off a shelf and hit Gustav on the shoulder, bringing him back to his senses. He pulled away and stared at Lady Mare in horror. What had he done? Taken advantage of her helpless state and kissed her while she was trapped? No matter how happy he was to see her, such behavior was unthinkable. Please forgive me. I should not have, that is, I meant. Lady Mare's eyes flashed with annoyance, and Gustav felt his face go red. She couldn't answer him through sign language with one arm trapped. He would have to free the rest of her before she could give him the scolding he deserved. He continued to dig her out, avoiding eye contact and being careful not to touch her as he removed the boxes. What had possessed him to kiss her? Finally Lady Mare was uncovered enough for Gustav to pull her out. He wrapped his arms around her waist and pulled her free. Gifts and books tumbled down around her, and Gustav held her steady until she found her balance. They looked into each other's eyes, both searching and neither finding answers. Are you injured? Gustav asked. He let go of Lady Mare and pulled a chair over for her to sit in. She collapsed into it. Nothing serious. What happened? An earthquake, I think. Her expression darkened. Are those common here? Gustav shook his head. They were common enough that sailors knew to watch for large waves afterward, but earthquakes seldom happened in Montaigne. This would affect sailing routes for a few days. He wouldn't be able to take a ship and look for his father until the sailors decided the risk of tidal waves had passed. Last at all. The thought made him scowl. Lady Mare noticed his dark expression and hung her head. Gustav flushed. What was wrong with him this evening? 
thinking about earthquakes when he needed to apologize for his atrocious behavior. I, I'm sorry I kissed you. Her head shot up, and she stared at him with fire in her eyes. Say no more about it. It doesn't matter. But it does. That was an extremely inappropriate thing for me to do. I don't know what came over me. You were simply glad to find me alive. And now you regret it. There's no harm done. Only Gustav didn't regret it, and her expression said there was certainly harm done. He tried to think of something he could say to make it better. Some way to apologize. Some way to politely bring up the fact that she had kissed him back. To ask. To ask what exactly? Before he could find the right words, Martianus Rouge burst into the library. There you are, your highness. Thank goodness you're all right. She turned back to the hallway and called out, he's in the library. I found him. Then she returned to the library and surveyed Gustav, Lady Mare, and the debris strewn about the room. I was working late, Gustav said. Lady Mare couldn't sleep and was looking for a book to read. If Martianus Rouge suspected anything else had happened, she didn't show it. We were checking on everyone after the earthquake and panicked when you weren't in your room. Your Majesty. A crowd of servants, soldiers, and courtiers burst into the room, interrupting whatever she had planned to say. They surrounded Gustav, cutting off his view of Lady Mare. Dr. Batiste pushed his way through them to examine the king. I'm fine, Gustav said. Please, take care of Lady Mare. The pile of gifts fell on her and may have injured her. But when the crowd parted to make way for the doctor, Lady Mare's chair was empty. Chapter 31 The incoming crowd provided the perfect opportunity for Fiora to escape the library. She ran from the room and down the hallway while everyone focused on King Gustav. Well, she limped as quickly as she could. The bruises from falling boxes combined with the pain in her feet slowed her pace. She was lucky. Her injuries could have been far worse. It was a good thing King Gustav had been there to dig her out. And then to kiss her. Fiora frowned. It didn't matter what she felt, because Gustav clearly regretted his actions. He hadn't meant to kiss her, and she had kissed him back like the idiot she was. What kind of man kissed someone accidentally? It was nonsense. This was what she got for letting her guard down. For daring to think, for even just one moment, that someone could possibly want her. Fiora leaned against the wall and took a deep breath as a wave of pain that had nothing to do with bruises and magic washed through her. When would she learn to stop hoping for such things? Dwelling on it would do no good. She pushed Gustav out of her mind and instead thought about the rumbling and the earthquake. The noise that had preceded the shaking was far too similar to the one that accompanied the Kraken attack to be a coincidence. Was something causing the earthquakes? Or someone? Perhaps that deep rumbling voice that had communicated with Leander. The one that wanted her dead. Had this been a deliberate attack on her? Fiora reached the shore long before she developed any theories that made sense. She tried to call out to Zoe and scowled when she remembered she couldn't. Instead, she picked up rocks from the garden and threw them into the water. Hopefully that was enough to catch her cousin's attention if Zoe was still waiting. The edge of the ocean was already tinged pink from the impending sunrise. Ouch! 
One of Fiora's rocks hit Zoe's head as the mermaid emerged. Fiora dropped the rest. Sorry. Zoe's expression turned from annoyance to concern as she looked at Fiora. Fiora, what happened? Did you get in a fight? Fiora shook her head. The earthquake knocked a few things on top of me. I'm fine. Earthquake. Before Fiora could further explain what had happened, Zoe swallowed nervously. Fiora, I can explain. Explain what? The water around Zoe rippled, and Kathleen and Althea burst through the waves. Fiora backed away from the shore. Don't be silly, Fiora, Kathleen said. We're not going to hurt you. What happened to your hair? Althea said nothing. She simply held up a large conch shell. It was more effective than any words, and Fiora froze. I got worried when you took so long to meet me, Zoe said. And they were looking for me and found me here. They're your sisters, Fiora. They can help. Help me into a jail cell, perhaps. Althea frowned. So what Zoe said is true. You use the transformation song. Obviously. Was it supposed to take my voice? Althea nodded. And cause pain in my feet? No, that isn't supposed to happen. I suspect it's because you're half-human and your magic isn't as strong as a full-blooded mermaid. This is why you shouldn't experiment with enchantments that you don't fully understand. As if I had a choice. You want me in prison, and Leander wants me dead. What's this about Leander? Kathleen said. Fiora rolled her eyes and explained what she had overheard in the garden. Her aunt stared at her. That's a serious accusation, Althea said. It's the truth. And I heard the rumbling again just before a stack of boxes fell on me in the human castle. It might have been a deliberate attack. Although Fiora hoped not. That would mean Leander had allies on the shore. Allies that knew who and where she was. If it helps, we no longer suspect you of waking the Kraken, Althea said. There have been more rumblings since you left. It seems the earthquakes weaken the effectiveness of the Kraken heart. We have adjusted our songs, and the Kraken are once again sleeping soundly. It was simply a matter of unfortunate timing. Or was it? Fiora was beginning to suspect there was more going on here than met the eye. Before she could comment on the situation, Althea tossed the conch shell at her. Fiora caught it and hugged it to her chest. That transformation charm is only meant to last a short time, Althea said. Three days at the most. You need to change back to a mermaid. Fiora looked to Kathleen, who nodded in agreement. It is worrying that the enchantment is causing you pain. Perhaps we should have considered sooner that being half-human would affect your magic and tried to discover exactly how it did. Perhaps, but they were a decade too late for that. Fiora had spent most of the time she was underwater trying to pretend her human side didn't exist. Just like she tried to pretend her mermaid side didn't exist when she was human. Maybe that hadn't been the best strategy. Fiora lifted the conch shell and read it. The counter charm was a complicated cacophony of extremely high notes. More of a scream than a song. She would have to focus her voice and push her magic to the limits to break through the enchantment that made her mute and human. Out of a sense of morbid curiosity, Fiora read through the cautions for the charm. 
The details of the enchantment were just as Althea had said. The song was not meant to last more than three days, and it was not supposed to be painful. You're sure I'll be safe if I come with you? This isn't some sort of trap? Of course not, Althea said. Would we tell you if it was? Kathleen said. That probably shouldn't have been reassuring, but somehow it was. The royal sisters were as straightforward as ever. I won't let anyone hurt you, Fiora, Zoe said fiercely. Not even them. Fiora wasn't confident that Zoe would be much good in a fight against Kathleen and Althea, but she nodded her thanks. The pain in her feet was growing worse, and perhaps it would be best not to return to the castle. Then she wouldn't have to face Gustav again after the kiss he so clearly regretted. It seemed she wouldn't be able to run from the sea forever. She stepped into the water. Waves washed over her feet and eased her pain. She pulled the pearl ring off her finger and set it on a rock. No point in taking a risk that the magic would interfere. She looked at the conch shell as she sang to make sure she knew her notes. The song would be easy to get wrong, and who knew what would happen then? Fiora opened her mouth and screamed. Nothing happened. No sound. No sudden burst of magic. No relief for her aching feet. Fiora screamed louder. Tried harder. Reached into that place in her soul where the magic resided. But the magic was gone. She collapsed, landing in the shallow water with a splash. The salt water stung her cuts and made her eyes burn. The mermaids swam as close as they could. I can't do it, Fiora signed. Zoe and Kathleen shared a concerned look. Althea's brows knit together. I was afraid of that. It takes a powerful burst of song to reverse the enchantment. Your voice isn't strong enough. What are you saying, Althea? Kathleen said. Althea didn't answer. They all knew what she was saying. The enchantment is meant to last three days, Zoe said. What happens at the end of those three days? It won't come to that, Althea said. I couldn't save your mother, Fiora, but I will save you. There was something reassuring about the fiercely protective look in her eyes. Terrifying, but also reassuring. What happened to her? Fiora signed. Before I left, you said something about my father being responsible for her death. What exactly did you mean by that? Kathleen and Althea shared a look that made Fiora's heart sink. Whatever they had to say, it wasn't good. I suppose she should know, Kathleen said. Althea nodded. Perhaps we should have told you before. Fiora, you know that your mother broke our laws and formed a friendship with a human. With your father. Obviously. Nyssa was always fascinated by humans, Kathleen said. She was always getting into trouble underwater and thought she would do better on land. She loved listening to Madame Isla's stories about her research trips. Fiora could only imagine how those stories had warped her mother's view of humanity. When she befriended your father, we helped her keep it a secret, Althea said. But then she fell in love with him and swore she would never be happy without him. That's why we made the pearl ring. It was forbidden magic, but Kathleen and I were accomplished enough to create it. Fiora wondered why her aunts had known forbidden magic in the first place, but didn't want to interrupt the story to ask. We thought it would make her happy, Kathleen said. And for a time it did.
She lived in a tiny cottage on the shore with your father. We thought he was a fisherman. But he wasn't, Althea said. He was a prince. And when his older brother died, he became heir to the throne. His parents were not pleased to discover he had already chosen a bride. They ordered him to leave her so he could marry the girl of their choice and strengthen political alliances. Fiora clenched her fists in the sand. She knew this part of the story. Well, her father's version of it. He told me she died before he remarried. Are you saying he abandoned her? Althea's face was grim. Not entirely, but he was conflicted. And that was enough to weaken the charm and turn Nyssa back into a mermaid. It takes strong magic to create a permanent transformation, Kathleen said. When we made the ring, we designed it so his love would let him share his life with her and make her human. But he had to love her enough to forsake his mother and father and all else in the world. And in the end, he didn't. The charm failed, and Nyssa came back to the sea. She rallied a little when she had you, but she couldn't pull through. I confronted him, Althea said. I told him about his daughter, hoping it would convince him to abdicate his throne and return to Nyssa. But it still wasn't enough. All that accomplished was to cause him to look for you years later and take you away from us. So my mother died from a broken heart. Althea snorted. Nyssa was stronger than that. She died from side effects of the magic. There's a reason such charms are forbidden. The day King Fergal married someone else, she dissolved into sea foam. That won't happen to Fiora, will it? Zoe asked. She used the ring to become human, and then her father stopped loving her. Althea shook her head. If it was going to happen, it would have by now. We believe the magic worked differently because Fiora is half-human and was transformed by the love of her father rather than a husband. His love wasn't as strong, but she also didn't need quite as much help to change her form. Fiora glared at the ring. Were it not for that enchantment, her mother would still be alive. And she wouldn't exist. She didn't know what to feel. Surely he didn't know it would kill her, Fiora signed. Of course not. Kathleen said a little too quickly. Probably not, Althea said. We don't know how much Nyssa told him about the magic. It is possible that he had no idea his love was keeping her human. Her tone said it was possible, but not likely. But he did love her then, Zoe said. He loved her enough to power the ring. Althea nodded. Love is a powerful magic, useful in breaking curses and sometimes in causing them but the hearts of men are unpredictable. More fickle than I realized when I created the enchantment. He was torn between his love for Nyssa and his duty to his country. Althea picked the ring up and turned it over in her hand. Then she blinked and looked from the pearl to Fiora. Her expression was so alarmed that Fiora slid deeper into the water to look at the pearl herself. She gasped. When her father had disowned her, the pearl had lost its sheen and turned a dull gray. It had stayed that way in the days that followed. But some of the luster had returned. A tiny stripe of pink and blue danced across the gem. Someone loves you, Althea said at least they're beginning to. Really? Zoe squealed. She slid forward on the sand to look at the ring. That's impossible, Fiora signed. She squirmed under the mermaid's questioning gazes. 
This could solve the problem of Fiora not being able to break the enchantment with the song, Kathleen said. Absolutely not, Althea said. This ring is too dangerous to use again. I only let her keep it because I thought the magic was gone. Does Fiora need to love the human man in return? Zoe asked. Althea and Kathleen turned back to Fiora. Are you falling in love with someone? Kathleen asked. Fiora blushed, remembering her kiss with Gustav. Of course not. I've only been on land for a day. Althea and Kathleen shared a look that said they didn't believe her, and Zoe squealed again. But the ring is dangerous. It killed my mother. Althea considered this. It didn't turn you to sea foam when your father abandoned you. Perhaps it affects you differently because you are half-human. It might be worth a try. She means it's our only option, Kathleen said. If you can win a man's love and turn human with the ring, you'll regain your voice. Then you could sing the counter-charm and become a mermaid again. See, Fiora. I knew it would all work out, Zoe said. Except for the part where she had to win a human man's love in two days, possibly come to love him in return, and then abandon him so that she wouldn't die if he abandoned her. There were so many impossibilities in that scenario that it was difficult to choose which to criticize first. There must be another way, Fiora signed. I will look for one, Althea said. But I can't guarantee that I will find anything. And you only have two days until the enchantment runs out. What happens then? You'll die. Althea's face was grim. Far grimmer than usual. Fiora swallowed. At least try to win his heart, Kathleen said. It would be such a nice solution, and you already have made progress. She handed the ring back to Fiora. Fiora took it and glared at the treacherous streak of color. Lady Mare. Are you there? Gustav's voice rang through the garden. The mermaids pushed backwards into deeper water to hide. He sounds cute, Kathleen said. She winked and disappeared into the water. Be careful, Althea said. I'll do what I can, but two days is not much time to create a new enchantment. Using the ring is your best chance. Fiora raised her hands to ask Althea what she should do about Leander and the attacks, but the mermaid was already gone. I'll check on you as soon as I can, Zoe said. And I'll find some ways to help you win the man's heart so you can return to the ocean. She hummed the song of healing, and the pain from Fiora's bruises faded away. Then she disappeared before Fiora could tell Zoe that she definitely didn't want the mermaid's help courting King Gustav.